Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today is Daniel Silverberg, an adjunct senior fellow with the Center for a New American Policy. He also happens to be the managing director of the corporate practice at the Capstone Consultancy. Uh, he served for nearly two decades on the Hill, including as the national security advisor to House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, the Democrat from Maryland. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thank you so much, Bago. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's indeed a pleasure uh, having you on. It was a great conversation you had with uh, President's uh, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber, Ann Newberger, and we're going to talk about some takeaways uh, from uh, that terrific conversation uh, you had as well, uh, in part because of the cyber game is, is moving so quickly. But before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security, as I mentioned, sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, ultra intelligence and communications, sponsors our command and control coverage, and we are a proud Farnborough International Airshow media partner, and our coverage of Britain's leading airshow was sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. Uh, Daniel, as I mentioned, uh, it's, it's great to have you on. Terrific conversation with Alan and uh, Newberger. And you know, it, it was a great conversation for, you know, even those of us who follow cyber closely about the sheer uh, number of ways the administration is moving the ball uh, forward, not, not to get too unnecessarily, uh, you know, charitable to the team. Um, and and a, lot of, a lot of progress, and you guys did delve into a lot of very important issues across the board. From your standpoint, as, as somebody who's cyber savvy, what were the key takeaways from the discussion? I'm grateful that you describe me as cyber savvy because I, I do feel like one of those policy folks who, as soon as you start getting into the, the serious details on cyber, gets uh, gets a little nervous. Um, but the, the number one takeaway I had from the conversation was an extraordinary sense of reassurance and gratitude for having someone like Anne in that position. And that this administration has, through its personnel choices, made clear that cyber is of utmost importance. So it, obviously there are any number of deep conflictions and ongoing discussions that have to happen of who exactly is doing what, but having uh, Anne in the position she is coupled with uh, what CISA is doing, uh, what NCD is doing, and what the Hill is doing, I, I just felt reassured as a citizen. Let me let me stop there, Vago, and I'm I'm happy to provide. Well, broader it, so um, right. I mean, I I think it's a terrific team, and and uh, there is an understanding uh, from a bipartisan perspective uh, that Ann Newberger is the right person to be in this job. Chris Inglis, as National Cyber Director, is is moving the needle. Obviously, it's something that the president is engaged in. Jenny certainly is getting a lot of very strong reviews uh, for her leadership of the uh, cyber uh, uh, of CISA. From your standpoint, the, there have also were a lot of granular things uh, you guys discovered, uh, discussed, all the way from the National Institutes of Standards and, and Technology and some of the things the NSA is doing on quantum encryption and, and some of the guidance that's gone out there. Hey, let's get ahead of this uh, power curve uh, is the message uh, to industry. I have to commend The Economist for doing some tremendous reporting and some very leading reporting on that. But from your standpoint, what are some of the recent eaches? 
uh, whether legislatively or otherwise, that we are. You know, Mark Montgomery is a regular on this program. He's a, a senior advisor to this uh, Solarium Cyberspace Solarium Commission, uh, and a lot of the commission's recommendations have have gone through as well. From your mm -hmm. standpoint, what are some of the more needle moving things that have happened just in the last couple of weeks? Uh, because you guys did, did discuss in in the conversation a lot of those specifics. Sure, I. I was listening to Anne's comments very much from a Hill perspective. And what I mean by that is I was, even though intellectually I knew it, when, when you hear the sheer breadth of the issues that Anne and her team are confronting on a day-to-day -day basis, I was listening to it from the context of, wow, that crosses a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of agencies, and uh, and could be a, a a bureaucratic mess. So the fact that there's any progress happening is is heartening. Where do I see that progress happening? Well, first, the the, the timing was exquisite in um, having Miss Miss Newberger participate in the conversation days after she had just gotten back from Korea. Uh, and engaged in pretty serious discussions and had uh, deliverables with our Korean partners. And likewise, uh, what she discussed with the Saudis, it came up in our discussion. I, I, I think both of us were pretty candid about it, that obviously the president's trip to Saudi Arabia was controversial. And you had a number of members of Congress who raised concerns that the timing was unwise, that it could distract us from Ukraine, uh, that it would legitimize MBS. I, I, I think Anne and other administration officials made a pretty compelling counter argument that all the more so because of what Russia has been doing in Ukraine and the fact that it remains an active player in the Middle East. We see Russia as attenuated from where we sit uh, in Washington. Uh, and that it's highly weakened. In the Middle East, as Stephen Cook uh, wrote about in CFR last week, Russia remains a vibrant force. In, in Steve Cook's terms, it's uh, Russia has many friends in the Middle East. So right. where, where I think progress was made um, was on that 5G in, uh, initiative that Anne discussed. Where I would like to see more progress made is the same type of diplomacy that uh, that Anne and others are engaged in with key partners like the Koreans and, and South Koreans and, and the Saudis, that diplomacy has to take place on the Hill as well. And I, I, I think the, if, if I were to summarize a, an implicit mantra or, or goal that I think Anne was trying to articulate, and I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but this is what I was hearing. Um, it's that the, the Hill needs to be talking to all leaders on the cyber effort because this crosses so many jurisdictions. 
you know, you, uh, you mentioned this as somebody who, as you said, right. I mean, if you spend as much time on the Hill as you did, uh, at the level that you did, right. It, it does color, uh, the, the sense that you have on this. So it's a, this is going to be a two-part question. Part one of the question is one of the things the Cyberspace Solarium Commission listed as a priority uh, all the way from the very beginning when Angus King and Mike Gallagher started this and Jim Langevin de deserves an enormous amount of credit on this as well was how to sort of consolidate jurisdictions up on the hill when it comes to cyber. Because right now, as you said, it it's you know distributed in something like 53 committees or subcommittees uh, or, or other groupings. From your standpoint, bringing your hill experience to this, What's the better, I mean, it, it, if, if first, is this even reconcilable because there's no committee chairman I've ever met who wants to cede authority to another committee, <laughs> uh, right? I mean, how does this work itself out? Because Congress appears to be getting to the right place, even if the process of getting there is complicated, right? I mean, thankfully we did CHIPS and USICA and it looks like, you know, we're, president's gonna sign it and that's gonna be terrific. Uh, you know, that's not directly cyber, but that's uh, part of the technological capacity that enables a lot of this stuff. From your standpoint, what's the best way to do the jurisdictional battles and, and how to do it better? And, and you're more familiar with the senior leadership uh, than anybody I know, almost anybody I know, right? How are they looking at this in, in terms of sort of making, making more sense out of this? I, I, I take from the question, how do you actually make Congress work? And yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. sure Daniel, how about, how about we put it that way? Daniel, how are you going to make Congress work? No, I mean, seriously, like how, how do we uh, do this? Right. We seem to be making progress, but it would, right. We could get to a better place if we were somewhat more focused in the way that we were going about doing this maybe is, is I guess the question. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm, I'm pessimistic and where I think that there's a lot of hope. I'm, I'm pessimistic on efforts to, rewire or frankly consolidate jurisdiction. I I cannot praise Congressman Langevin's leadership enough on this. Um, and I know that that was a, a key aspect of the recommendations, but I, I think the thrust of his efforts was getting the, getting the NCD in place. Um, and part and parcel of that is there has to be some change in Congress. But as you indicated, in my 14 years on the Hill, despite dealing with extraordinarily critical national security challenges like uh, military and civilian assistance in Afghanistan, uh, counterterrorism efforts to rebuild vulnerable countries' economies in order to thwart terrorist influence, uh, offensive cyber operations. There have been any number of efforts during my congressional career to rewire congressional jurisdiction. Oh, and, and war powers, of course. They, they all failed for exactly the reason you described of it is nigh impossible for Congress to rewire how it does business. Um, I think Congress is very good at influencing the executive branch structure, Goldwater Nichols uh, being a high point, the, the work of the 9-11 Commission, um, which just parenthetically I'll flag, um, uh, we, we recently commemorated the passing of uh, a former close friend and Hill colleague, uh, Gordon Letterman, who was on the 9-11 Commission and 
wrote his undergraduate thesis at Harvard on Goldwater Nichols. And I, I, I wish he were with us today to opine on these kinds of issues. But one, one thing that Gordon was very uh, passionate about was that Congress is really effective at rewiring the executive branch bureaucracy, not so good at, um, at rewiring its internal jurisdictional structure. Right. Now, here's why I'm optimistic. Because ultimately, change is going to happen because of leaders like Mr. Langevin, Senator Warner, Senator King, others who care about highly technical issues and rise to levels of leadership where they're able to influence and push key legislation. And so that, that's where I, I think there's only going to be more leaders coming online like that. And Mike Gallagher is certainly one of them. Uh, and and there are any number of leaders who I think are going to fill the vacuum that Congressman Langevin is going to leave. Uh, it, he he will be uh, very very sorely missed. And again, you have my sympathies on Gordon's uh, passing. Uh, certainly a, a, a great American. Um, let me ask you, you know, one, one of the other pieces, and you were talking about the international diplomacy on this uh, in terms of um, how. Uh, Anne has been getting out there. Chris has been getting out there. Jenny Shirley has been getting out there and traveling internationally, right? I mean, we've sent all sorts of mission, uh, messages uh, with them visiting, for example, Ukraine uh, before the war or, or, or since at a very senior level. And now we're going to have Nate Fick, uh, who's uh, going to go to the State Department to be the nation's top cyber, or at least uh, the Senate uh, uh, permitting. Um, talk to us about how Nate's addition to the team changes and improves the international dynamic because this administration has been trying to pull as many of our allies and partners together and get them on the same cyber page as possible. That's been a little bit easier and faster with some of our closest allies uh, and partners, right? I mean, not much air between us. And for example, the British, we're working much more closely with the French, uh, right? So we have this on a NATO perspective, an Asia Pacific perspective. As you mentioned, the administration also is doing outreach uh, elsewhere uh, in in the world, and including uh, to, to the to the Middle East. W- walk us through what you think Nate is going to bring to this, and and how the administration can best use him uh, in in this capacity at a very important time. Well, well, Nate epitomizes that dynamic we were talking about of the administration is recruiting the A team, uh, and I, I have to think that everyone involved in the cyber mission is delighted to have someone like Nate Fick, who just brings that rare combination of academic uh, uh, CNAS prowess. Uh, and I'm, I'm pleased that he's affiliated with the institution. Uh, and he, also- he was, he, was one of the, he was one of the founders, right? Along with exactly. Kurt Campbell and John Noggle and Michelle Flournoy yep. and the initial team. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased on this front. Um, but you know, someone who brings that kind of academic background, not who, who brings the, a think tank expertise and fuses it with a commercial perspective. And that's exactly the kind of person we need as a cyber diplomat. So uh, and, a Marine, and a Marine combat veteran on top of that, right? I mean, so he's been there, got been there and gotten the T-shirt from an operational level as well. And, and successful startup experience. So he, he can speak to multiple constituencies with authority. And so if, if, if I were king for a day, uh, and it's, it's dangerous to, to speculate like that, but um, 
I, I would have to think that there is so much ground to cover here that I that senior leaders would want to deploy Nate to augment the things that Anne is doing in with allies um, to help um, to bring the State Department's muscle and diplomatic perspective to uh, to this fight in a way that um, I think exists right now, but can only be strengthened and to further unify the mission. You know, one, one thing that struck me about how Anne was describing her delegations is the number of deliverables that she comes with when she goes to India or, or Saudi Arabia. And I, I'm thinking about this again from a kind of a hill and a diplomatic perspective. It's very powerful to strengthen bipartisan, bi bilateral relationships when you have key senior leaders rolling into a country with right. something specific to give them. And I, I was always critical of, not critical, that's too strong a word. I was sensitive to uh, that usually we relied on the Defense Department to do that, that no one had goodies to offer besides the Pentagon. And that, right. that, that resulted in a somewhat militarized relationship with some countries where they were thrilled when the Secretary of Defense or the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs would come, certainly when the combatant commander would roll into town, oh, when, you know, a senior State Department diplomat was there, uh, not so interesting because what are you coming with? That's different with Anne, and I have to think that that's what Nate Fick is going to augment. He he he's he's going to come with specific deliverables, like what kind of bilats can we be putting together? What kind of coordination mechanisms uh, can, can we build? Intel sharing agreements. Right. It, 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 it's so it's it's it, it's. Terra incognita right now. So much potential. I should point out, right, I mean, uh, Chris Painter, uh, who was the nation's first uh, cyber diplomat, uh, certainly, you know, sort of helped set up what a gold standard is uh, in that job, right? But I mean, you've got to be in an administration that's taking that uh, role very seriously. And and, uh, and and indeed, we're going to see where we are. I mean, my frustration with all of these jobs, Daniel, as we've discussed is, it, it took the administration too long to fill some of these jobs. I'm not going to get you to comment on that. But I think that some of this would have been better if we had had this team uh, and in place uh, a lot, lot earlier uh, across across the administration and a lot of the appointed jobs. Um, uh, go ahead. If I could jump in for one second, Fabio, that you know, I I think it's important to note that Chris Painter did an extraordinary job. Rob Strayer, also as a um, key cyber diplomat. I think really helps strengthen the office. What what Nate I think is going to be well positioned to do, and and Anne is already doing this, is to contextualize cyber diplomacy in terms of broader diplomatic priorities. What I what do I mean by that? Right now, you have top diplomats like Amos Hochstein and Brett McGurk, 
working closely with our European allies to develop, uh, strengthen our joint energy security uh, plans and priorities and identify alternative energy supplies so that Europe is not entirely dependent on Russia for its gas. And I have to think that when Chris and Rob and others were doing this job, it they had a real challenge of, you know, how do you get our European partners to not buy cheaper goods from Huawei and ZTE when we're saying they're a national security threat and they say, okay, well, what's right. the alternative? That's not, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on. Well, it's just, that's not the case. It's still the case to some extent, but because of what's happening in the energy security context in the war in Ukraine, you now have a greater force of diplomacy that uh, in which what we're talking about in cyber is being contextualized. So it's not just Nate or Anne or other players going out to Europe on their own. It is a team of actors having these conversations with particularly our European partners, but also the Australians and others to say, we have to deal with China from an energy security perspective. And that goes hand in hand with cyber and, right. and very much on Russia as well. And one last point, that's why you saw, if you looked at the, the pictures that were coming out of the bilat with the Saudis, which parenthetically was fascinating to me because in all of my experience, the Saudis never actually do those kinds of uh, uh, sit down at a bilateral table type meeting. So the the, the optics were fantastic. Um, and, and what you saw was President Biden in the middle, Secretary of State, uh, and then Ann Neuberger right next to Secretary Blinken and Amos Hochstein, energy security diplomat, right next to Ann. That showed me how the administration is approaching these types of diplomatic initiatives. Um, and I uh, and I uh, was uh, remiss. You're absolutely right. Rob Strayer did a terrific job when he was in the seat uh, as well, and and uh, deserves to be uh, commended. Um, let me. Um, we, we've got um, a couple of issues I want to talk about, and we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to go into a little bit of a of a lightning. Sure. Around. How do you how do you think the administration is doing? You know, we, we we've been talking a lot about uh, Russia's war on on Ukraine. Uh, obviously, Nancy Pelosi, uh, the House Speaker, went to uh, Taiwan. Um, you know, I don't think people understand Nancy Pelosi, even though everybody was trying to convince her this might not be the time to do it. I don't think that was a sort of a messaging. Uh, I think it could have been messaged a little bit better. She was still going to go uh, ultimately as somebody who is a big supporter, not just of Taiwan, but also has always been critical of uh, of, of China. Do, are we doing as good of a job defending forward, right? I mean, there's this perception, Daniel, that defending forward has been very successful and we're somehow blunting the Russians, but there's a lot of debate about whether or not the Russians are still very, very active uh, and we're duking it out with them, or maybe they've dialed it down because the value of doing these kinds of operations. So it's a two-part question. Are we doing as, are, are we really tangibly stepping up our defensive game on this? Are we as successfully defending uh, forward? Or is this still an attacker's game um, and, and you know, that we are getting attacked as we've always been attacked and we're going to, you know, announce an OPM style hack in another 
a couple of months, right? I mean, you were in a key position when all that stuff was going, key positions when all that stuff was going around the first time around. Do you think that the game itself, that we've picked up the game enough that we are better defending ourselves? And then I have a follow-up on this and I have one last, uh, that uh, quantum encryption question before we part. Sure. I, I, I think even the administration's greatest defenders and those inside the administration would say, absolutely, we are doing better. We are not doing enough. And the, the latter is a product of the sheer scope of the challenge, which Anne stressed that attackers just need to find one avenue of exploitation and that's it. Um, whereas we have to defend so broadly. So there's a, you know, I think an important question of, well, is a good defense, uh, a good offense? Um, and, and, and touched on that. Um, and I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I can validate that having, having sat through any number of cyber threat briefings and response briefings over the last decade, no question, um, we are better off now on the cyber front than we were, unfortunately, because of the hacks that we've seen and, and the need to get better. But uh, going back to our, um, our original discussion, God, I, I feel so much better about it having right. Anne and Chris and Jen in place, but no question, um, it's not enough right now. Let me um, take you to uh, public-private partnership. You guys talked about that. Uh, Admiral Mike Rogers is a regular on the program, retired Admiral Mike Rogers, uh, formerly of Cyber Command and NSA. And he talks about the importance of actually getting a deeper uh, and more effective public-private partnership going. Are, is, is progress being made at the right rate on that? And what more do you think perhaps Congress and everybody else can be doing and the administration could be doing to foster you know what I mean? I mean, there are a number yeah. of people in industry who will tell you that the relationships are getting much, much better, much more quickly. But there are those who do make the case that actually we have a long way to go before we get to the get to where we need to be. From your standpoint, how are we doing and how do we get better? I, I, that's a terrific question. Um, and I that's why I, I wanted to focus in my conversation with Anne on her her diplomatic efforts, not just abroad, but in this town um, and with key CEOs. And no question, I think uh, the, the administration has gotten better at this. Having Nate um, will help. Anne is doing a fantastic job on this. But it, it's it, there's only so much that individual leaders are going to be able to do. If if I were uh, if I were king for a day in Congress, um, I would. I would like to see legislation passed that would facilitate public-private intel sharing. And it's it's a searing gap that that legislation can't get passed because it's nigh impossible to find common ground among Republicans and Democrats, interest groups, and free speech advocates. And... Um, it, it, it and I don't know how to solve that problem on Capitol Hill, which makes me think that the the main way to make progress in the near term is for some kind of executive branch action compelling companies to share information. But even that would face any number of 
legal hurdles. So I'm, I, I remain pretty concerned on that front. Uh, two minutes, two questions. Question number one, uh, Nancy Pelosi made good uh, on her promise to visit uh, Taiwan. Chinese uh, are enraged. Do we need to be bracing? And what kind of bracing do we need to be doing, especially in the cybersphere uh, against the Chinese, right? Um, some really surprising and very aggressive attacks on, on Taiwan's uh, infrastructure and certainly you know, denial of, denial of service efforts. But the, mil- the Chinese military is stepping up its game. Do we need to be bracing for a Chinese uh, cyber onslaught on the United States, U.S. industry and infrastructure, do you think, in the wake of this? We always need to be prepping. And far be it for me to be the former official who's going to say, nah, don't worry about it. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's all good. Um, I, I, I do think it's an interesting question of the Chinese are going to respond in some way to Speaker Pelosi's visit. And I personally, I... Um, I, I think it was a, a strong visit. Um, I think it sent the right message. Um, but they're they're gonna they're gonna respond. And what I have noticed is they're gonna do whatever they want to do, and they don't need Nancy Pelosi's trip uh, to give them a pretext. Right now, do they want to do something public for their own? population to show that they are responding forcefully or do they want to do so in a more quiet fashion and launch massive uh cyber intrusions into the united states or against our allies and if i had to bet on that i would probably say the former because they don't get the political bang for the buck if they do the latter, but I I would not be surprised if they certainly up the tempo of their uh, cyber attacks just generally because they can and right. they and they've demonstrated an interest in doing it. But again, I I can't stress enough that uh, obviously there were concerns about Speaker Pelosi's visit, but China China's going to do whatever it wants to do, and um, the, and and yeah, I'll stop there. Uh, And uh, very uh, last question, 30 seconds, quantum encryption, NIST uh, standards, the number of people making the argument that, hey, we better get uh, on this uh, to improve our security before sort of the dawn of the quantum age. There's little debate, of course, about whether or not this is like a mirage and it's always five years out there in terms of the quantum age. But certainly it looks like it's closer than it's been in decades. From your perspective, what does this new guidance mean? How do people need to be thinking about it? Because there are a lot of people who don't even know what quantum encryption and quantum computing is much less, you know, how to sort of prepare for that, right? Sort of boil this down as a policy guy who's also savvy in the technology. What does this mean and why this was important? It's funny because um, with my capstone hat on, um, we have have clients who are trying to understand, well, what exactly does this mean, um, both from a standard standpoint and then from an investment standpoint of where are there going to be opportunities to make money? from um, uh, this kind of development. And I think the the first thing is people don't understand it. And and so there's an onus on the administration to go out and explain the significance of establishing these kinds of of standards. And that quantum is, I I happen to think it's not a five-year mirage, that this is um, how people need to be thinking about the challenge right now 
And, um, and so the number one thing is there has to be a, uh, a publicity effort here to explain uh, the significance of this. I'm optimistic. Um, I think that I think this is going to be implementable, and I think it's it's overall going to make us stronger. Not sufficient to deal with all the challenges that we discussed before, um, but I'm positive about it. Uh, and and again, right to explain that you know even though we don't have quantum computing, we can use some quantum techniques to improve uh, encryption and improve security. And again, that's uh, ultimately what this is uh, all about. Uh, exactly. Daniel, thank you so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it, uh, and look forward to having you back on again uh, in the future. And uh, great, uh, great discussion with Anne, and great discussion here today. Thanks so very much, Bago. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.